Welcome to Media Life with me, Matt Rudd. And me, Nick Swift. A 13-episode podcast series where we have a fireside chat with a guest on their life in media, from where it all began, their career journey, and where they're currently at. We discuss the highs and lows along the way, and perhaps a few funny stories, not to mention the odd junket or two. Well... Welcome to Media Life, Ben Wood. I think it's strike two with you, Ben. We had a go at this once before, didn't we, Nick? Yeah, we did. We did. And we weren't happy with the results because I was of the mind that it was a practice run. You look, you look like you're um, out, sort of, out, is it called glamping when you've got, you know... I'm in a caravan in Port Ferry. I have a microwave oven. I have a coffee percolator. Fantastic. I have dunas and pillows and everything. Yeah, we don't, um, non-circumcoitus, Matt, don't fuck around. We, uh, is, there's every luxury imaginable, Wi-Fi, the whole bit. And I think, um, Ben, you, you're a king camper yourself, aren't you? Yeah, but it's a bit more challenging in China. It's quite popular in China camping, but I'd struggle because I wouldn't. Is it? Wouldn't know where to go because all the signs are in China. I was going to say, where would they? Where do they go? Out, oh, I suppose no, like you, like out yeah. in the mountains, three or four hours away. Yeah. Yeah. No, when we went to uh, we went to the Great War with National Geographic a few years ago, yeah. and the yeah the lady took us to a bit that was well away from where all the tourists go and uh yeah that was bush pretty much bush yeah right? look when, once you get yeah. out two or three hours from shanghai it does get more near hongzhou etc more countryside etc a couple of double page spreads was it no 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 i won a trivia comp it was actually the second time i'd won it uh, and uh, the first time we went to Machu Picchu in Peru, and the second time we went to the Great Wall of China, and it was quite funny because we we were out there for about four or five hours walking through the bush, and then we'd been told that we were going to the Great Wall and it was going to be a lovely walk, so people had bought maybe five hundred mils of water and all that sort of stuff. No, no, it was quite arduous, and so about oh, seventy or eighty percent of the way through it, people had had a gutful, and we came across this bloke who lived just out in the bush there with the house. And he's like, oh, you want some noodles? I've got water. And uh, he's like, here you go. And he fed us and gave us all this water. I've never been so happy to see a bowl of food in my hole. Well, I think we should go back to the beginning then. I mean, I know this is strike two, Ben. Thank you for finding the time because... Thank you you for your patience. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Ben, we usually start with people with their education and where they're from. So where would you like to start, Ben? Where I was born, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, up to you. Born in I mean, Yorkshire, Yorkshire, same as Matt, but but uh, Matt's born. Yeah, I was born in Africa, actually. Oh Yorkshire, God, there you are. I was, yeah, yeah, I was born in Zambia. Yeah, yeah but anyway, but then you moved to Yorkshire. Yeah, but you are. My dad's a Yorkshireman. Yeah. So, look, and uh, we will get on to cricket. But one of the things about being born in Yorkshire, um, in those times, in the nineteen. 19- 70s 80s and 90s um only uh yorkshire born people could play f- cricket for yorkshire so my dad was quite that's true that. quite, that, quite happy i was true. born in batley in yorkshire really is that still the case no, no. it changed with mm. 
uh, uh, many By the way, you, Swifty, you like your cricket. Do you know the first yeah. um, non-Yorkshire person to play for Yorkshire, Ben? Tandulkar. Ben Jones? Sanchez, no, Sanchez Tandulkar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I met him. Yeah, oh, was, the yeah. little, they call him the Little Prince or something? At 16, yeah, and he was 16 when he master. played for Yorkshire. So, um, studied geology at Oxford. Well, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I just, I'd like to pull that back a little bit. Oxford where? Oxford College? or University. Oxford, um, uh, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's Cambridge University and there's Oxford University. And people sometimes say, you know, Oxford. Was it the real Oxford? The real Oxford, yeah. Worcester College, yeah. Uh, Were well, yeah. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't TAFE. Well, Worcester College, uh, Rupert Murdoch went to. So he Ooh. sponsored, he paid for a building. Company. How did you get in there then? Yeah, I did well in my science D, um, A-levels. In your A-levels? Yeah, maths, physics. What did you get? Maths, physics, chemistry. I did the exams, the Oxford exams. Know, so. Obviously. And and also you were flouting at that time. In fairness, I know you're a modest person, but you were a up-and-coming cricketer, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we will get to the... Uh, so I played for the Oxford Blues team for a couple of years. Uh, combined universities, what was called the blood sport against Pakistan. And I remember one occasion, there was a game against Durham and Dean Jones was playing. And it was um, actually, in the end, it was called off. And it, it was first and only time a game was called off for being too cold. It was like my <laughs> three degrees. <laughs> And Dean Jones was like, "What you know?" He's going, "I don't, I don't want to play in this miserable weather." Yeah, it was like, uh, but didn't he have gloves on? Was he batting? Yeah, but it was freezing. So I bowled thirteen <laughs> overs. They provide him. much warmth. And I, I, okay. I, 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 my famous sledge to him. So I bowled this ball. I'm sure it was LBW. It definitely was plumb in front. And the umpire didn't give him out. And I said, "It's a good job, you, Dean Jones." And he said, who the, hell, oh. who the hell are you? And then I pulled a hamstring in the cold weather and I was sat in their changing room and he would, didn't even talk to me. So, uh, Well, he's Dean Jones. Mm. He was, he was hey, definitely, he was definitely he's, LB, though, he's, Ben. I'm, he, I'm with you. I, mate. Like, still I don't visualise it now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to be unkind, but <laughs> he's Dean Jones. Yeah. And, and you did... Just make a really big deal about how you reckon you got him out leg before. Yeah. Now I I'm I'm quite a, <clears throat> a cricket umpire of renown, and I have a rule that I don't even pay leg before because it's so controversial. So perhaps you were playing in a league of that quality. So you're having a crack at cricket. You've um you've got you've Dean Jones to the out. university. You, right, I'm sure he's plum as well, Ben. I'm with you on that. Um, and then what happened? Well, then I uh, finished my degree and wanted to have a go at cricket, semi-professionally, really. I wasn't quite the calibre to play professional. But I went to New Zealand for a couple of seasons uh, and I had a coaching gig and I was playing first grade there. And, and I got a ticket um, paid for and that ticket included a flight through to Perth. And I kind of had enough of playing cricket for like four seasons in a row back to back and I stopped off in Perth and um, 
you know, I, I thought, well, let me just ring a few mines in Kalgoorlie and areas like that. And this bloke just said, can you get on the train tomorrow? And there's a job for you. So, yeah, randomly, I ended up in a place called Kalgoorlie. In, um, as a as a working geologist. Exploration geologist, yeah, which is fight, trying to find gold. I am fascinated by this. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? When I first arrived in Australia in 2003, I landed in Perth with my dad, and we we, we thought we'd get the train across the desert, see how big this place is. And just quietly, it's it's a very big place. She's a big brown land, Ruddy. Oh, mate, she's red as. And um, so we stopped stopped at Kalgoorlie, and about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, they said, listen, we're going to have like four hours back for four or five something like that, in the afternoon. So we walked to town, we saw all the food places on the way in, and I, me and my dad said, oh, let's go and have a beer and see what, you know, see what the locals are like. I swear, I don't know in 2003, I don't know when you were there, Ben, but... Before that. I don't even think it had... Eh? 95, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, mate, I, it wasn't tarmac. It wasn't tarmac on that main street. And I walked into a pub about 2 o'clock with my dad, and it was live music, it was four deep at the bar, and I tried to get to the front of the bar to get a beer, and, mate, I've got the elbow, you know, the old elbow coming out from the bloke in his... And, and I, you can see he's a... I, I realise he's a minor now, but... And he looked at me, and a glazer was across his face, and I'm thinking, he wants a fight. And I'm thinking... So I said to my dad, let's try the, let's try the next pub. It just seemed to be pub after pub, and we went to about four, and then we found... And they're all the same. Live music, four deep at the bar, two o'clock in the afternoon, three quarters cut, and yeah, so I was, I was just like, we finally had a couple of beers. We walked back. There was no, all the food shops were shut. And apparently I heard afterwards that at midnight, they all come out, start swinging in the middle of the street at night. And I thought, yeah, I'm not surprised. But that was, that was my taste of Kalgoorlie. She's a rough town. Yeah, yeah, a lot of money around and not much to do. How yeah. long were you there? Nine months, ten months, something like that. Yeah. Um, well, I did. I did. I worked in a place called Southern Cross first of all, which is four hours away mm. from Kalgoorlie. That that's really got nothing to do. Uh, sleeping in a donger and <laughs> yeah, and then and then I moved and I, I was working in the mine. I was getting up at six in the morning, going into this open cut mine. It was freezing cold. At, so was this your yeah. was this your first experience of Australia? Yeah. Was Southern Cross? Yeah. Yeah, so wow. and, and, and welcome to Australia. Yeah, now get out. That's right. And then, but <laughs> Kalgoorlie. I mean, the diggers and dealers conference was fascinating because oh, yeah, they'd bring in all this sort of the dealers from London who were kind of investing in gold mines and or wherever you know New York and all these sort of places. To me, the diggers, which is kind of the the gold mining investors and stuff, and geologists and so on and we're having this barbecue right on top of the mount um well the hill where all we we'd got this exploration license so that was about 100 kilometers square quite large uh where we were trying to sort of find some gold deposits uh with a with a team of a senior geologist i was a junior but, but at that time so um and this investor's go, look, I, I couldn't find my way around that well. I didn't really have a good sense of direction in the bush. And this and this, <laughs> and this, dealer, quite senior bloke, went, where's that geologist going? Why is he driving the wrong way? 
And, uh, you know, it nearly, the deal nearly fell through. He said, well, if these colleges well, don't know where they're going, like, I'm not investing. So. In your in your defence, Ben, mm. it is what they call a landmark-free zone. That's right. It's uh, it's flat and red. You don't know where you are. And no. The other... That's why GPS was invented. So you moved on from Kalgoorlie thinking uh, it's not quite... Quite enough for Too me. hot. Uh, I want to get to media. Too many bees. You know, lots of bees. And, and now it was so dry that all these bees started appearing from nowhere. That, I'd had enough. So then I went back. <laughs> Too many bees. Yeah, there were. It was like horrific. And then, so I went back to England. And then, well, I mean, cricket kind of got me into No bees? No bees. Cricket got me into advertising because I joined this cricket club called Welling Garden City who had a load of advertising people who uh, played and they introduced me to my first job. Uh, I think it was Zenith and and I did some agency work for about four years in London, uh, Zenith and Mediacom, in media buying mainly, some media planning on accounts like GSK and different accounts. Then I went to Australia, got into the agency world uh, oh, you came oh, back? Whoa, whoa. What, 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 what made you go to Australia? I just got a job in Mr. Bees. No, I got a job at AIS Media. I quite, I kind of missed all the blue skies and stuff, and I'd had a taste of it. So, but this was obviously different coming to Sydney and working in an agency. But it was a yeah, very yeah, very different from um, Kalgoorlie, right. Sydney, isn't it? But you, you, Nick, you might remember IAS Media. And they're quite a good. I do. Yeah, they had um. AIS became... AIS, that's AIS? correct, yeah. Uh, yeah. David Baker was one of the founders, and he, he unfortunately died um, in recent years, but it was Steve Allen and David Baker ran a good shop there. They eventually sold... Uh, Do I need my bell, Ruddy? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely, yeah, yeah. Uh, brilliant. To What's this new bell, Ben? What's this for? Every time, every time you name drop. Like someone like Steve Allen. Yeah, if you know. name drop, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's not really. He sounds like that bloke out of Breaking Bad. I don't know if you ever watched it, you know. So I spent five years there, and um, and then after that, I did so. I kind of I wanted a bit of a break from agencies, and I had quite a few friends who were in the kind of the sales side of things and seemed to enjoy what they did and had a bit more freedom out of the office. So then I joined R. M. Williams and ran all their magazines as the ad sales as. So yes. there you are, Nick, and you were beautiful magazine. A beautiful. I think you were doing. Still around? You were doing Qantas then, weren't you? What? What? What did you? Nah, you, Nissan. Nissan. That's it. We, you booked a double page spread, yeah. And you did. No, you had to book. I think you had to book a double page spread in four editions for a, or for, for, to get a pair of boots. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, didn't didn't we light up? Didn't we light up? Like, you still uh, got those think, boots. They last forever, mm, don't they? No. No, no, they they wore out because, uh, well, it was a bit of a vigorous period of time and the boots wore out. I won't go into the details that they're long gone, but I, I have another pair now uh, and my love for RMs is based off that. We, we found a way to justify putting, I think we put a Nissan Maxima uh, ad in RM Williams magazine because, like, that's what blokes in the country want is Maximas, you know, prestige vehicles. But everybody in the agency, I remember going around, they were brainstorming, how am I going to get X brand into RM Williams? God. You know? 
We found a way. Nissan was in there. Maybe I want to say Crown was in there. Yeah, we had loads of stuff in there. It went quite well. Yeah. Well, mate, yeah. you're handing out seven hundred dollars <laughs> pairs of boots. You know. Yeah. And I remember, I remember somebody on the phone. I was over overhearing them selling it into a client and saying, "What's well, you're a prestigious brand." RM Williams is a prestigious brand. It's going to be 120 GSM high gloss stock with beautiful photography. The the um, perceptions of your brand being in there, and I'm like, you just want a pair of boots, man. <laughs> but he got there. He got there. Yeah, you know, because you, you cut your teeth, didn't you, on selling there? Yeah, we talk about how, that. How, a bit. How, how did you introduce yourself to people? Well, the, I mean, the main magazines were quite good good fun to sell, but then we launched this title called Hoofs and Horns, which was meant to be a high-end magazine and didn't one. quite work. Um, it didn't quite have the right name. I mean, R.M. Williams had this old magazine, and it was just quite hard work. You used to ring up and go, it's Ben Wood from Hoofs and Horns, and they go, can you spell it, please? And I go, H O O F, you know, S. And then the bloke. Okay. Yeah, I went. I went to the. You say that um, again. I went to the presentation. Mm. I went. I went to the presentation. Yeah. Who's involved? Yeah. The lady. The lady. Linda. Knew yeah. yeah. So, and we all had to go. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite a nice idea, but with the wrong name. Yeah, I enjoyed those two or three years, and then I got back into agency, joined. Media Edge for a bit, and uh, you know the Group M, Media Edge, Mediacom. Who who, so, who so, brought you over so there? Mike Porter. That, that's yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no, we, we want Mike Porter on here actually because mm. he comes up a lot in conversation. He's obviously a, a, a great guy, I reckon. Um, ben, is this roughly about I'd say two thousand and four, something like that? Yeah, I think that's where I met you. You were at Media yeah, Edge. Yeah, we, we've working. known each other twenty that's, years. God, yeah, that's right. And you rang up, didn't yeah. you? RM RM Williams Magazine was about two thousand and one, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At, at Sean, Sean Briggs had just started with us. Yeah, I think fifty. Like yeah. He was um, now. I know because I rang Ben in two thousand, probably two thousand four or five, and I said to him, "I, you're working on. I can't remember what what was the Can- name of the brand? I had you, Canon you, and different brands. Yeah, Singapore. No, Airlines. it was it was one of the AFL ones. It oh, was, Caltex." Um, Caltex, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, Caltex, Mm. yeah. And I rang him Swifty, and I went, you know, in the old days, you you actually rang people to talk to them, believe it or not. You didn't just go, oh, let me find them on LinkedIn. Did you know that you were fellow Yorkshiremen? Did you lead off with Swifty? Hey, up, lad. No, not straight away. No. Swifty, I did. In Matt Rudd. Mate, I I rang him and said, "Um, (laughs) hi, is is that Ben? And he went... (laughs) I'm busy. I'm really busy. And I went, Oh, is that a Yorkshire is that a Yorkshire twang I, I hear? And he goes, uh, Yeah, but I'm really busy. What do you want? And I went, Oh, well, I'm from I'm from Yorkshire as well, Ben. And uh I just I work I'm working with the AFL and, and I said, No, just just yeah, just want to have a catch up if you've got any time. He goes, All right, I'll see you. I was like, You wanker. <laughs> Why? Why is he a wanker? Because he like he was busy, wasn't he? And like I get it. I mean, we'll get it. But you've never had a real job, Ruddy. You don't know what it's like being a media buyer. Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
You don't know what it's like selling stuff, mate. You know, I must admit, I'm, I'm when Matt turned me. up, he, was, he had this leather briefcase. He was writing notes, and it was very professional. I was very impressed. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I was actually. Yeah. It was very, yeah, good mm. first impressions. And and the funny thing was, is is then right, Swifty. We went on to like obviously become good friends and stuff. But I said to him, you know, um, he had a he had a son, Tom, who was about the same. Uh, I think he was a couple of months younger than yeah. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> But they were only about four or five. I said to him, mate, do you want to meet halfway? Because I was living in Pranulla and he was in the city. And I'd, I'd take a shovel and we'd buy, we'd, I think I told you before, Swifty, you've heard this, but I'd, you know, I'd build these big, proper sandcastles at like six foot high. Yeah. And so the kids could have, anyway. And, um, and I'm, I'm digging away, Swifty, because I'm thinking, Christ, he's the media buyer. I want that money out of Caltex. And, He's going, oh, it's a really good idea you brought that spade. And I said, any fucking chance you can help me out then, mate? Like, take a go at it. I'm like, I'm sweating here. A, and, cynical, uh, man, a cynical man would suggest that you leveraged off your child <laughs> to 50. get a booking. Disgraceful. A How cynical sh- man. Not me. Shameful. Shameful. And <laughs> he goes, you know, he stand there and he goes to me, oh, he goes, you know, my dad, he's, my dad's a Yorkshireman as well. And he goes, my dad, you know, when I wasn't behaving as a kid, he'd, he'd say, I'm going to have you, Ben, back here. You on know, pen's not good enough. You can get on the shovel. Yeah. And I was like, mate, any chance you're getting on this shovel then? Because I'm, I'm digging it. <laughs> I'm digging here and I'm sweating and you're you're doing yeah. nothing. But what? Yeah. T- just talking about it. So, yeah, But anyway, in fairness, then Ben's digging. I've got photos of that, actually. I, I saw them the other day, Ben. It was brilliant. Wow. Yeah. Well, the the, the 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 theory of being on the shovel is like working hard, really, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a proper job, mate. No, mate when you no wonder you, no wonder he hated it. Ben. Yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him go. Hard work's not his scene. Anyway, so then Ben, carry on. Yeah, and then I joined. <laughs> I joined an interesting. We're just going to let that one go through to Gilchrist, are we, ready? Absolutely, oh mate, one of the best players ever. I joined. Yeah. Um, Faulkner get him Media. So I got into media auditing then, which I've been doing for 15 so, years now. Faulkner, Faulkner Godbold? Yeah, it? well, it moved. Became... I mean, when I joined, uh, uh, Godbold had left and it was run by Eric Faulkner. Um, and then I, I kind of joined um, them for, for four or five years. And yeah, so I've been in this sort of media management, media audit space for since then. Um, what year was that? Whoa, whoa, whoa! I think let, let's just peel that back a bit, Ben, because I reckon that's so. Two thousand and ten, you left, or I don't know what, what year did you leave Faulkner? Well, I was at Accenture nine years, Deloitte three years, so that twelve. About two thousand and ten. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I reckon I'm just going by my memory, but I think 2010, you suddenly said, Faulkner, you'd had enough of it. You went and spoke to Accenture and you actually set up the media auditing business for Accenture, didn't well, you? Well, for Australia, yeah. I mean, not, not. I didn't yeah. say I mean, it was an established business around different markets around the globe. So, but they were, they were a bit um, premature in, they'd set up in Australia, but didn't have many clients. Two actually when I joined, so and no, no. How yeah. did you, how did you find that going from agencies to sales back to agencies and then to being the gamekeeper? The different roles there really are. Yeah. Uh, mm. Probably the most challenging was 
certainly when I joined the media audit type work at first um, at, at, at Faulkner, it, it takes a while to... Look, the, the main thing is that when we the work we do, and certainly at that time, you don't see clients that often, but when you see them, you're kind of doing quite important work that is quite serious. And so you don't, you might meet a client twice mm. a year. So you've got to make, you've got to prepare for it and make sure you, when, you know, whereas when you're doing agency work, you might see the client 20 times a year or something. So it's a slightly different, mm. slightly different. So what, what was your first big client then for Accenture? Was it Red Bull? Red Bull and then ANZ Bank. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I ran the pitch for ANZ Bank, which was quite nervy because Harold Mitchell had still got the account. You know, he'd had it for many, many years. And um, yeah, um, actually, they moved away from that into uh, a PhD and it kind of helped make, P- mm. you know, PhD a good business and that sort of thing. They did a good pitch for that. So that, yeah, that was a monster pitch. Did you play a role in getting them out of Mitchell's into PhD, Ben? Not really. Are you? I mean, you just—it's a facilitator role. So you just make sure mm. when you're running a pitch, you just make sure that the client scores it fairly. No, the reason—the yeah. reason I ask is because it cost a lot of my mates their jobs. So I was oh, seeing if you were going to walk into that door, but you didn't. You dodged it beautifully. Yeah, well, mate. <laughs> Actually, Ben. Interestingly enough, the other night we had the beef on. You know, Graham Webster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And his, you know, his story is fascinating. And to its degree, I mean, I know you've, you know him as well. So you, you fellow guitarist. You're ready to mention, actually, Ben. Yeah, he, um, he plays guitar. I do too. Yeah, the first one or two years at Accenture were challenging because I remember meeting you, man. I said, I'm going to bring all these clients in, blah, blah, blah. And you said, no, you won't. It, uh, you know, it doesn't work like that. And it's true. It, it, it takes a long time to gain trust from clients, et cetera. So you don't just pull all the business in straight away. It doesn't work like that. But yeah. coming yeah. coming from the agency and the sales side, did you have, when, you know, to when you're doing the media auditing and the agencies are justifying what they've done or defending what they've done, did you have, in the early days, an element of empathy with them? Like you were like sort of understanding where they were coming from and, uh, sort of Definitely. sympathizing with them, and then you, and then you had to, to be objective. You would have then had to have turned away from that sort of. Yeah, it was tricky. I know. mean, I had a lot of empathy because I've been there, got a lot of friends in the industry. Mm-hmm. So when things went bad, and you're conducting the audit, and you're saying, "Well, why did this happen?" and they're saying, "Well, this, and then this, and then this," and it's kind of not your job to get him a cup of tea and pat him on the back and say, I understand. Yeah, but early, early days, we were kind of more TV focused. So um, it, it was really just a TV audit, which was obviously the majority mm. of spend. And it was more on the buying side of things than planning. It's changed a bit now where we look at all media, we look at digital, and we do get involved in planning processes and things like that. Mm. We don't comment on media plan, but just a bit more of the overall process and programmatic media, and it gets quite complicated. But in those days, it was like more of a TV benchmarking type service. So it was kind of beat the benchmark. Yep. So it's quite factual in that way. So how does it how does it work these days then if you're 
auditing a programmatic campaign because you you would rarely hear words like transparency in the same sentence as programmatic. We a lot. I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a few agencies that do it better than others, but well, so sometimes we'll do a deeper dive on the whole waterfall and supply chain within you know the buyer and the seller side of programmatic, so that that can kind of solve a few problems. SportsX Global. It's going to change the way sponsorships are transacted. It's an online marketplace that connects sponsorship sellers and buyers across the world. Sellers have complete control over how they list and describe their assets, and buyers can search local or worldwide for opportunities that align with their target market. The platform makes it simple for them to connect, communicate, and transact. And for the next 12 months, it's completely free to use. If I was selling a sponsorship, it'd be a no-brainer to list it. Just go to sportsxglobal.com. So where are we now? So you're Accenture in Sydney, you've set that up, it's a media business, you're doing all the auditing businesses, you've got some brilliant accounts like ANZ, Red Bull, uh, Red Bull et cetera. Unilever, and then yeah, I didn't win. They, mm. they promote you and say, we need somebody in the region for APAC and you're the man, Ben Wood. Is that right? Well, sort of. I mean, my boss said, how do you feel about moving to China, and then we'll make you the APAC lead. It wasn't really a choice. So it was like, uh, well, it was a choice, but, uh, you know, I fancied it. And, um, I again, I didn't come to stay eight years. I came just to give it a go. I'm still here. Yeah. So you so you went to Shanghai mm-hmm. for, with Accenture, and then after a couple of years, you sort of got poached. Or I'm, I'm going to do the best I can, Ben. You got poached by Deloitte to go and do the same thing again. Is that is that roughly right? Uh, three years ago, thing? yeah, to join Deloitte, yeah, to do the same thing, yeah. So you started but, the Deloitte media auditing, like you did for Accenture, China, yeah. So he's built two businesses really consecutively, mm. and what we're saying, Ben, is um, we'd like. What are you laughing? It reminds me of a funny story. Go on, tell it. I, I'm going to have to get my bell here. I was in a meeting many years ago with Paul Blatchford. And David Nettlefold and Nettlefold, they're in an argument about something. I forget what it was. And David Nettlefold said, don't tell me how to conduct business. I've started five businesses. And Blatchy says, no, you haven't. You've started the same business five times. And I, and I went, Oh, this is above my pay grade. And also I'm getting a little bit scared. Because it's David fucking Nettlefold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I said, would anyone like a cup of tea? <laughs> Just left. I thought, I don't want to be here when this goes yeah. down. But so, no, I laughed then when you said, well, you've started two businesses. And I thought, no, he hasn't. He's, <laughs> he's started the same business twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. So I, th- I think, Ben, what our listeners would like to hear is um, – what what China has taught you or what your experience. So you've been there for what, seven or eight years now? Yeah. So you obviously enjoy it. This is what I noticed. Mm. I mean, we only went for a week, but I was expecting one thing and it was the other. Beijing, we went to and Xi'an and yeah, very cosmopolitan, almost Western cities. Yeah, they are. I mean, you, I yeah. mean the other, look, one thing that I 
found and got uh, that one of the main adjustments was how how big some of these cities are. I mean, Shanghai's twenty four million, Beijing's about the same, Guangzhou's a big city. So is um, I mean, have you heard of? I mean, for the listener, Ch- Chongqing is a a place I've only been once uh, once actually, but uh, it's in the west of China. It's got thirty million people. And it's all all, oh, all on a hillside, and it's just amazing how they've done it. What do they do there? Um, Why does it exist? Well, because it's the connection to the West, you know. I mean, the old kind of Silk Road kind mm. of theory, you know, like it's so it's connected to some quite big. Uh, Never heard of it. Yeah. It's got thirty million people. Yeah, it's um, it's got a lot of uh, uh, auto auto uh, manufacturing and things like that. So, yeah, huge city. It's not just all about Shanghai and Beijing. I mean, China's a big place. When you advertise right. here, you have to go across 140 cities, so, you know, to do a national campaign. Well, as complex as that sounds, Ben, have you ever had to run separate TVCs in um, the aggregated market, be of northern New South Wales across, you know, Gold Coast and uh, Tamworth, Tari, Dubbo and all It's quite complicated there as well. Uh, you know, we don't need you coming on here and, Telling us how hard it is in China. No, I, I, it's look. Quite tricky here well, too. well, actually, some things in China are quite simple when it comes to media. Australian media is quite complicated and tricky. Thank Cause you. Because you've got four, you know, you got the five cap cities. For I remember all that. I mean, you may you have to do nine TV campaigns, don't you? And then even down to sub markets. It's. I I mean, one of the things when we you know back to sort of the media auditing discussion. We always found it quite hard to train new people on TV. And um, I'll name drop here because I used to have a laugh about this with it. I'm ready. Mark O'Brien used to talk to me about this. Mobber. Oh, Mobber. Yeah. Love yeah. He's, he's going to be a guest on this. Yes. So, so we used to talk about this is quite geeky talk, but how to match a pay TV universe with a Metro City universe. And it takes. Oh, it's, Can I, I can't even remember how to do it now, <laughs> you know. So, Mobber, Mobber would know. So, actually, digi- right, digital media is quite, in some ways, quite simple. Can we have simple. some insight into China? I, I want to. All right, all right, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, because no, no, uh, I'm quite interested in this pay TV universe <laughs> yeah. versus the free to air universe. I want to kick it off. Because, Hang on, because we just finished the pay TV universe. So pay TV because yeah, when you go yeah. into ETAM, you have to choose your server. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Why do you why do why do you choose? You know, you choose Metro. Correct. You choose Pay TV Universe, and what what is that? I, I mean, I probably should. It's know. about the population of the TV audience, isn't it? So like, and they don't match because mm. Pay's national, whereas Sydney Metro Sydney can be just that population. So when you look at the cost per thousands, you have to um weight them and it's tricky and it take it takes two years to bloody train a junior to do that no can i tell yeah. you who'd be right across this Mobber. melanie mcdonald brilliant at this no. yeah. <laughs> melanie melanie mcdonald she'd she'd have a she'd have this down to a fine well, art so anyway I, I want an update on china i was there and I went to Shenzhen to look at the, all the LED factories and blah, blah, blah. And it was four tunnel through the mountain. It was like eight lanes in each direction. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is absolutely 
colossal, this place now. And I was back there, by the way. I was in China in 1986, first year, yeah. But I've got something for you that I think it puts it into context. And I actually told Harold this once, actually, Swifty, and he said, can you give me the name of that quote? And I did. This is like five or six years ago. How China used more cement in three years than the U.S. did in the entire 20th century. There you go. China used more cement between 2011 and 2013 than the U.S. used in the entire 20th century. That's what you're up against. And that, I think, is why the world is shifting. You know, China are going to be a dominant force. One thing I noticed was that uh, you could be on a freeway and there'd be eight lanes each way, so 16 lanes, but there's still traffic jam. Like, build more roads. Yeah, but Ben, Ben, Ben will tell you in the morning he gets a coffee and he gets it delivered by his uh, WeChat account or whatever it is now. Sometimes, ben, all right. Yeah, look, that, I mean, it, yeah. By drone? Motorbike drivers. So, uh, you know, it's, um, I mean, the mm. when you try and use Amazon, uh, you know, it's um, a bit slow. It can be a bit slow. Alibaba is like superb. Yeah, really quick uh, to deliver products. Yeah. But with Alibaba, do, like, do you have to order 10,000 coffees or can you no, just one. get one? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you can do something like, I, I've got... I'll just say, you, you know. Can, you can order well, some goldfish food, mm, a cup of coffee, stick, an ironing board and whatever, and they'll all turn mm. up in a in a decent time frame within... So, uh, But I, I, I think the main thing, I mean, especially with social media... Uh, social media is very popular here, and you see people like David Beckham on 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 the uh, TikTok and Weibo. Yeah, but you can get to quite big audiences quite quickly. You know, you you don't have to post particularly amazing content to get twenty thousand, thirty thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand people viewing. Um, you know that sort of thing. So it look, you know, extremely popular. Uh, with musicians and artists and all that stuff and all products. Still no Facebook? No. Is that weakening? What, social media in general or just? No, just specifically Facebook in China. No, what Facebook do? Weakening on that? They're not allowed to, they're not part of the platforms, but what they have got here, and they have got offices here, is so what they do in um, China is try to target Chinese companies to help them um, advertise overseas, whether it's Southeast Asia, Australia, so on. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But there's no there's no softening of that approach to access or anything. Like no, that. not really. No. Um, so it's it's the local platforms like TikTok and Red and Douyin and all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Look, that that's probably being the boom area. Red Bull. Yeah. I mean, social media might be a twenty percent of campaigns, but you know, China, uh, in terms of media investments, second biggest market in the world. The top hundred brands internationally would have a quarter of their media spend uh, in China. It's a relatively good value market, but you do have to spend quite a lot of money to get your message across the whole nation. There's one hundred and forty-five markets. Yeah, so you need quite big budgets and you need to be, stay in long. So it's some of the, you know, like you can't just come in and, I mean, there are brands like A2 Milka are having a good go here to sell quite well. But, they, you know, they've been spending de- decent mm. money for four or five years in this market. That's a Australian brand. Yeah. 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 I mean, 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, Apple entered China in 2010 uh, and, and very successful now with uh, its one of their biggest markets in the world. But, you know, it's taken, what, 10, 13 years of spending 200, 300 million year, uh, dollars a year on advertising. You know, all the big brands, uh, you know, invest uh, dollars like that. But when you convert it back to, well, you know, we, I mean, it all comes back to a tarp and a cost per thousand, doesn't it? Cost per thousand. It, the, the cost yeah. per thousands in China are relatively good value. I mean, when you compare to, you know, a market like Japan, um, etc. Australian CPMs are quite high, but it's a higher GDP market, mm. isn't it? When you think about Asia and APAC. If I ever get audited, Ben, I'll quote you on that. Why are your CPMs so high? Well, it's a relatively high GDP market. Well, well thank you, Nick. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a low population, 24 million, but it's got an affluent society. And yeah, whereas Indonesia and China and India are in the Asia region, you can get the masses, can't you? Yeah. I mean, one of the things about sport, cricket gets bigger audiences than any uh, any American sport. I mean, that's a big shout. It does. It's true. I reckon it's true. It it lock is. it up yeah. because of the India yeah. population. Sports like tennis. I mean, more people watch tennis here, the uh, the Australian tennis than um, than Australians. So, you know, when you when you're talking about sort of getting sports viewership. Um, uh, you know, something like the Cricket World Cup's got huge audiences because it taps into all audiences like India, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and like you said, I mean, 25 million, Australia tap out at. But, I mean, you know, like, actually basketball. Yeah, basketball's you know, China, a good one, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I did a Or even audience. basketball. Yeah, yeah. Mate, mate, there's like 20 million Chinese watch the Australian Basketball League. Yeah, the the, the other, like, I don't want to get to, you know, we're getting a bit into sort yeah. of facts and figures rather than life in media, but just finally on this, you know. Well, isn't life in media facts and figures, Ben? Yeah, I suppose it is. No, but, no, 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 go on, Ben, carry on. You know, <laughs> one of the things here as well that's booming is participation because some of the education laws have changed now where uh, private education is being banned so uh good so what oh. so what that's about is to allow kids to enjoy leisure time on the weekends what do you mean private education's being banned? well hang on let me explain this and there are i don't i'm not don't familiar with all of these uh laws but on the weekend you're not look if you are a say a school teacher you're not actually allowed to provide private tuition to a certain age group and the idea behind that is to get kids out and about and it's working. And so sports like skiing and basketball and Disneyland is a client of mine. They're full all the weekends. So, oh. um, yeah, so, the you know, the whole participation in sports huge. There's something like 24 million marathon runners in China. What about skiing? 20 million people ski here. Yeah. Uh, that that that's probably the main trends that are happening. Uh, social media participation, big numbers, that sort of thing. For our emerging listeners, and we we're very popular with the uh, younger demos, yeah, as well as the established demos. And uh, strangely enough, we're very popular in the Netherlands. 
if you wanted to say a few words to our loyal listeners about how to approach employment in the Chinese market, or if you're thinking of moving to China, what advice would you give them? I think it's a terrific thing to do. I think I'd try and learn some of the language, definitely, if you've got the, the energy to do that. Uh, how are your language skills? Look, I struggle with it a bit. I do do lessons, but I think the, 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 the people who um, have got the best success in Chinese language um, here tend to take some time off work and do a six-month immersion type thing. You know, but you've got to be key. Uh, look, that's a big commitment, but that's the best way to do it. Then you get a good handle on the language. Would you would you recommend it to up and comers who are sort of yes wanting to wanting to spread their wings and you know Europe's so passe and working in England is done to death and you know every man and his dog's done that one. If people were thinking about maybe getting some international exposure onto their CVs, would you recommend China and why? I would recommend. One of the things that I think you do learn here is just seeing, look at a country that does the, you know things in, in, in some ways in different ways um, and a country that does some things in very similar ways. Uh, but it's the scale. Mm. The main thing is the scale of... Um, yeah, the, the sheer size of it. Yeah, everything's 10 times that you do in the UK or Australia. So it's, you know, if you post something on social media, you get 10 times the audience. If you do a media campaign, it's 10 times the budget. But yeah. as you touched on before, there's there's 145 markets and there's X million people and all of that sort of stuff. So the 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 sheer scale of it and the the size of what you're doing would be exciting for people who have cut their teeth in Australia and are looking for something more. I mean, leaving the language barriers aside for one second, that alone is exciting. Yeah, and it's a for for young people, it's quite a social place. It's, I mean, I I've met a, you know people who are teaching English. They they're on on the younger side. They they enjoy it and they have a, quite a social time here. So it's um, look at where you you know I I think it's a really good question you ask and I would encourage it because during COVID was tough, um and and you know like the whole sort of expat type opportunity just diminished, didn't it? And I think people are still a bit nervous about taking on overseas opportunities because you know we got locked down for two or three years like the whole world and particularly yeah. oh, i've just had some friends uh young friends bronte clark and millie thompson take off for their uh you know european british adventure as young people do but i i think going to china would be uh, adventurous it would be exciting it would test you challenge you i think so the thing i'd encourage as well is try to see different parts of china yeah um, in much the same way like yeah. um i don't know if i don't know if you're aware <clears throat> our listeners may not be aware but i've been to france a few times with sbs on the tour and one thing the guides always say to the people there is have you been to france before and they say i've been to paris and they say, Paris is not France. That's right, yeah. So if you say to people, I've been to China, I've been to Beijing, I've been to Shanghai. Well, Shanghai is not China. Beijing is not China. 
China is a much larger country with a lot more to offer than just that. Yeah. Just on that Swifty, what would you say then if I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a pommy geezer, I've been to Australia, I've been to Sydney or Melbourne, where same. would you say Australia is? Yeah, I mean, it's no. an interesting question, that, isn't it? Because you've got the... I mean, Shanghai is a modern city, and, and so it's like any other city that, um, you know, Sydney or Tokyo or whatever, Paris. But, when like, parts of China get... You, you feel like you're back in time and, um, you know, a thousand years ago and things like that. Not, not quite, but, you know... Um, there is a bit more, I mean, a bit more tradition. Um, in fact, Beijing's got a bit more tradition, I suppose, than, than Shanghai. So it, it's that yin and yang between modern and old, you know, because it's a 5,000-year-old culture here. So you go to some places and you really, the river towns and stuff, uh, you, I mean, they are set up for tourism a little bit, but you do feel like you're going back in time. So, so what, what's the future holding? Are you still playing any cricket, Ben, or where, where are you going from here? Yeah, I still play you know, cricket. Uh, making I'm, I'm quite slow now. Like the rest of us. The wicket keeper stands up. My fielding's a bit wooden. <laughs> they call me Robocop. But I can still bowl a nice line in length, and I got six wickets this year, so in four games. So. You're, running, you're running in the outfield like Douglas Barter? Something like that, yeah. Swifty, wouldn't it be wonderful to get a diverse range of media people on our podcast to share their stories? Whether you've been in the industry for a short or long period of time, what do you think, Swifty? Oh, I totally agree, my friend. A great range of perspectives is always valued, and anyone with a great story is welcome, and that's pretty much everyone in this game. Yeah, agreed. So if you're interested in coming on the podcast, I'll use the sponsor's email address they've given me, which is matt.rudd at sportsxglobal.com. Drop us your name and number and we'll contact you and set up a time. Thanks for listening. Till next week, it's goodbye from me. And thank you and goodbye.